You're listening to The Blank Page Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Patterson, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is a space where I get to talk to creatives, entrepreneurs, and storytellers about what it means to be on a creative path, how to deal with the high highs and the low lows, and how to stay well along the way. As a creative myself, I am no stranger to riding the roller coaster, discreetly crying on the subway slash not so discreetly crying in my car, getting in my head, focusing on results, and just not having a good time. So my hope for this show is to create a community where we can all come together, lift each other up, remind each other to have fun, and feel fortified in returning to that proverbial blank page again and again. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hello again, friends. Happy Monday. I'm so excited to be bringing you another episode of The Blank Page. Pat yourself on the back. You made it through another week of these wild, unprecedented times, and you're here and you're showing up for yourself, listening to an inspiring podcast. Good on you. I love you. I hope you're doing well. This is going to be a really, really special episode, you guys. Jerry Johnson, what a queen. She is truly so sovereign. I don't know how else to describe her. She is so in her power. She takes supreme care of herself in a way that I think if everyone took care of themselves the way Jerry takes care of herself, the world would be a much more beautiful place. Her self-love is radical. The way that she approaches her art is incredible, and her story is so beautiful and expansive. I mean, some of these manifestation stories, you guys, you're going to freak out. They're, They're stranger than fiction. They're pure magic. So I hope that it brings you some light this week, Um, you know? It's all touch and go, right? So crazy. I feel like everything's been coming and going in waves. For me personally, I have had a week of sort of um, spinning my wheels and just keeping myself exceptionally busy with projects around the apartment, uh, particularly in the kitchen. And um, it's super avoidant. I've just been avoiding (laughs) all of my big feelings coming up. And then sat down to meditate last night and could no longer avoid. You know when you get that, you get to that place where you just, you gotta surrender into it and it it might feel uncomfortable for a second, but it's so delicious to get in touch with what's actually going on. And, you know, I uh, have had a few opportunities in terms of uh, auditions here and there, and I feel so disconnected from my channel in a weird way and I had an epiphany this week that it's because without the typical rat race my motivation has to come from a pure place whereas I think it's probably been coming from um, a a fear of scarcity or fear of becoming obsolete or wanting to be a good student. So, you know, if it's due on a Wednesday, I'll be sure to get it in on Tuesday. And that's my motivation, Um, which, you know, non-judgment with that. But in, in these times, that's not working for me. So it's been very interesting for me to 
go slow, to get really intentional about every little thing and to really try and be wherever I'm at, whether that's at the sink doing the dishes, um, working on sides, journaling, um, making, you know, my coffee, whatever it is, I'm finding that to be really helpful. It's not always the most comfortable thing in the world, but being someone who has been very avoidant lately, it's been helpful for me to slow down. After all, it's tourist season. Anyways, enough about me. Let's move on to the inspiring Jerry. Sending you all so, so, so much love. And I hope that my conversation with this magical woman brings you some serious light this week. I personally am going to take a page out of her book and try to have a little more fun. And uh, maybe you'll be inspired to do the same. This is so exciting for me to be talking yes. to Jerry Johnson. Yes, that's amazing. I'm excited because you, I mean, this, you have been killing the game with your podcast. Thank so, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love starting these with compliments and we've only met in person once, but I feel like I've known about you through Amber and Marcel and I've never seen anyone light up a room quite like you. You really shine so bright and it it just invites everyone in the whole room to do the same. You have such a warm, inviting energy and, you know, even just via social media, I feel like everything that you're putting out into the world is a blessing and it Mm. comes from such a place of you being rooted in yourself. And I, I don't know that I have ever seen self-love embodied quite so fully. And it's really inspiring. Wow. I received that. I received all of that. That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the most important things is to be grounded in, in self-love and in a, in a love that's selfless because then you can share it and spread it without feeling like you have to keep it for yourself or that somebody coming in is compromising it. It's so abundant and so infinite that we all can have it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So tell me, let's talk about your journey. Tell me about Tiny Jerry. What are some of your earliest memories of being a creative person? (laughs) And did you always know that you wanted to be a professional artist or how did that manifest for you? Well, um, when I was like five, I started writing poetry. And so I've been a poet for uh, most of my life. And I was a mentally gifted student is what they called it in, 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 um, middle school and elementary school and what they they give you this test and this test has all these like weird shapes and patterns and if you can figure out the patterns and shapes then you have a mental uh, whatever like it's this thing and so um I used to get done my work fairly quickly when I was younger. And so to keep me busy, they'd have me design the bulletin boards. And so I would be decorating the bulletin boards, picking out the borders and things. (laughs) And so I think that was like a great way to keep me grounded, but also like the spark of this creative flair that I have. 
And like every other week I'd be writing a, a new poem for the bulletin board. And when people would come in to like survey the school, I'd be the student that's like, well, this is this and this is this. Um, and so then the moment where um, the acting component came. So I was in choir. I'm mm. not a singer, although people think that I'm a singer because of my voice. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. And um, well, I am but I'm not conventionally a singer. Um, and so I would always be the loudest one in the choir. I always want to be in the front. And it was just, it was just tacky. It was horrible. Um, but they, but my teachers, you know, they were grooming me. Um, and so they allowed this to persist. Um, and then when I was, <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, one of the teachers was like, listen, we're going to sit choir down for a moment and we want you to read this book. And it was for color girls. And they were like, we want you to perform the lady in Brown at our next um, event. And so this was the first time that like acting was even being introduced in like our ceremonies in such a way. And when I read the book, I felt like it was a poem, but it was a dance, but it was a song, but it was a play. And it was so interdisciplinary and, and it was so in line with where I was at the time and my experiences as a little black girl. And I just couldn't believe that one book could make me feel so full and so whole. And so that was when I decided to be an actor and I auditioned for the high school for the creative and performing arts in Philly. And then it was the rest was history as they say yeah yeah so i know that you got your mfa also so walk me through your journey just in terms of training from joining theater in high school to getting your mfa at act so my my acting teacher, Mrs. Bass. Um, we have lots of, uh, of products of Mrs. Bass floating around in the, in the industry. And it's really beautiful to see, especially, you know, on Instagram, which I feel like is the eighth continent when they drop little gems and I'm like, oh, that's Miss Bass. And so she was this amazing um, black woman who was also a preacher who taught oh, acting. Wow. And she did not play, okay? You could not come late to her class. She said, uh, you know, earliest on time, on time is late and late is fired. We would have to um, recite these poems that we'd have to memorize. Like every Friday, there was a new poem that had to be memorized. And um, one that really stuck out to me was there is inside you. It's like there is inside you all the potential to be whatever you want to be, all of the energy to do whatever you want to do. Imagine yourself as you'd like to be doing what you want to do and each day take one step towards your dream and it goes on. But I feel like that was like the beginning of manifestation for me. But after high school, I was like, you know, I'm just going to get to LA and be a star. <laughs> I was in that same boat. I'm glad I didn't. But um... Okay. And she was like, you was she she always wore a shawl she like flipped her shawl and she said you will not and you will not go to a conservatory you will go to a university you will get your education and so um for me being a first generation college student i really didn't know what that meant or what that looked like and so i had applied to all these schools and then um i got into one and then like last minute i was like this is way too close to home i cannot go here and so um 
a week before the semester started, I, I switched all of my papers over. I redid um, my financial aid and I went to Penn State. Wow. And I was like, the universe is sending me here. Let's just see what this means. And it was a beautiful experience. And, and it's interesting too, because um, most people I know from Penn State know me as a poet because I would, I performed at like, so many events I can't even believe it I can't even believe I didn't have to sh- that I did when I was in undergrad like I don't <laughs> even know how I was a theater major and also an RA and also like performing live everywhere wow and so um my first year there I directed for color girls and it yeah. was the first time that that many of the people had seen all these black women on stage at once. Most of them weren't in the acting program. And it was also the first time that um, a black box show put, that was put on by a student was sold out. Like they had to start turning people away. What? And so it was like such a beautiful experience because it, it, it says a lot about, about representation, especially representation in theater. And so then when I was on my way to graduate, from college, I was like, I'm just gonna go to LA and be a star. And my friend Elijah Jones, who uh, now goes to Juilliard, was like, No, we should, um, you should just do this. Like, just apply for schools, and and we have all our resources here. Why not? And so I was like, Okay, whatever. But I knew that I, if I was gonna go to grad school, I was not gonna go on the East Coast. It just felt to me like if I can go somewhere where I'll have the financial security where I don't have to like struggle. I don't want it to be so close to home. I want to try my hand at um, California. And yeah. so I actually planned to go to, um, I like had this, this thing ready to audition for UCSD. That was like my dream school. Mm-hmm. And so um, I like had the, I, I wanted to do it. We did all of our, um, our auditions on the East Coast, but I wanted to do that one on the West Coast. I was like, I want to see their f- facilities. I want to be there. And so I planned this trip like three months in advance to San Diego. And so I like had a hotel room that was like walking distance from the campus. It was going to be amazing. Except a week and a half before the audition, I get the email saying that actually it was in San Francisco. And I had no. planned this whole elaborate trip to, to, to go to from Philadelphia to San Diego and then from San Diego to Albuquerque, New Mexico to visit my best friend who was getting her PhD there. So it was all these flights involved in this trip. And so I was like, you know what? It's California. I'll take a bus and hop on over. Bitch. <laughs> I knew nothing. It was like 10 hours. It was, yes. it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And so I was like, you know what? The universe is telling me that I just need to vacation in San Diego and not worry about it. And then three days before, um, I looked up a flight and it was like a hundred and something dollars to go from San Diego to San Francisco. And so, and that was whatever the money was that I was going to have for a hotel. So my plan was to go from, from Philly to San Diego, to stay in the airport, go from San Diego to San Francisco, San Francisco, back to San Diego, San, San Diego to Albuquerque, Albuquerque oh my God. back to San Diego, and then back to Philly in four days or five days. And 
I get on the plane and this guy is on the plane and his name is Guy. And I was like telling him, this is like my first time, like my only flight that I've been on was to Atlanta. And so I'm telling him, I'm like, yeah, can we put the window down? I don't really like planes. And so he's like, are you afraid? And I was like, yeah, well, the <laughs> shame back a little. And so <laughs> he pulls the window down, but like all throughout the trip, he's like slowly inching the window up. He has his like camera out. I mean, his, um, not his camera, his, his, his computer. And he's showing me like, okay, now we're over Texas. And he turned out to be this really nice guy. And so he was showing me this, um, this boat that his friend has. And they named the boat after his, um, after his daughter. And it's this wooden boat and it was beautiful. So he was like, so, um, where are you staying? And I was like, you know, I haven't really decided it yet. And so he was like, so what's your budget? Because he had internet and he was going to look up places. And I was like, well, yeah, he was like, okay, this must be, this might be a crazy idea. But what if I reach out to Tammy and see if you can stay on the boat? And so I was like, okay. So he reached out to, to Tammy and Tammy's like, yeah, send her over. Just bring me a bottle of wine. So we go to dinner and it wasn't creepy at all. My friends were texting me like, are you, are crazy? you okay? <laughs> what if he kidnaps you? Send me a picture. This is, this is crazy. And so I'm like, no, my spirit is telling me that this is right. <laughs> So I ended up staying on this private boat at SeaWorld. What? She cooked me breakfast. They came and got me to take me to my my um, my flight. Then when I came back in the 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 little time that I had between um, Albuquerque and San Diego, they came and got me again. We hang out, hung out on the boat. I met his daughter. It was like wonderful, charmed and life. Then, <laughs> right, this is, this is the sh- that happened to me. But when oh. I got to when I got to San Francisco, we were auditioning at ACT. Okay. And so I had gotten an initial call back uh, for UCSD and um, I was feeling good because I had already got into Kyle Shakes and I was Ooh. like, you know, I'm, you know, and it felt really bougie to me, like the, the whole experience of like auditioning for that school. And I was like, this seems like it's up my alley. And so then as I'm walking to go explore San Francisco, uh, the is Albert Rubio was his name and he was there outside the ACT room and he was like hey would you want to audition for ACT here's the pamphlet da, da, da. and it was and I had like the right amount of cash on me to like pay the audition fee and things and so I was like mm. and I was looking at their pamphlet and you, know, you see Anani Rose and Denzel Washington and Annette Benning, and it's like okay okay and I went into the room and the energy was beautiful. Uh, then they invited me for an initial callback, and I do the initial callback, and I was just in awe of the other people there. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I think that you're supposed to sit there. I'm not like the sit down and be quiet person. And so like I'm cheering people on who's also auditioning because their initial callbacks, everybody auditions in the room together. I'm like, yes, oh my God, you are so good. So I'm just like happy to be like sharing space with all of these amazing people. And I remember going out into, um, cause they have like this deck on the, the eighth and ninth floor that overlooks San Francisco. And I, I was making this video and I was like, this is where I'm gonna go to school. Wow. And then I got a final call back and I was, and I met the teachers and like Jeffrey Crockett, who was doing embodiment work that nobody was doing. And Stephen Bisher, who was doing clowning, who's now at UCSD, who's amazing and phenomenal and really, really, really intelligent. 
And it was just like this all-star team of, 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 of teachers and performers. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to train. And so I got in and I was really excited. And it was crazy because we had this all-star team. And then as the year went, the years went by, all of these people left. And Your we class? Were, no, all of the teachers left. And so like wow. by the time I was a third year at ACT, we were fortunate enough to, to be trained by all of them. And then mm-hmm. all the new, new teachers, which I think is, is an amazing thing. But by the time I was graduating, there was only um, one teacher one of our original teachers there and the, the head of the program, we didn't even have the same um, head of the theater. And so um, it was a beautiful experience, but it also was a crazy experience. Yeah, a lot of upheaval, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is amazing. And this is why I, I know this because I follow you and I'm like, this girl can manifest like no one else. And just hearing that story is insane. Now I want to hear about, because you graduated pretty recently, right? Yes, like um, May, last May. Okay. And then you've already booked some incredible jobs, which I feel Mm. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But I wonder, because I feel like so many people who I talk to, myself included, have such a learning curve coming out of of an MFA program into auditioning. Mm-hmm. was there one for you or do you feel like it feels to me and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels to me like you were already like pretty fully baked and in your worth as a human before mm-hmm. entering your MFA program. And so yes. I feel like that was probably helpful, but was there a learning curve for you at all in terms of coming out of school and then learning to audition professionally or no? Yeah, there was, there was, and I think, so I, I was very like knowing who I am when I came to school and then the first year of school totally fucked that up. It was like, you thought you were. And then the second year was a little bit shaky. And I think something that I did my last semester of school, which was really intelligent on my part, um, was starting to like dismantle and unlearn colonized thought. And going to school, you learn all these things and you want to take in everything, but like you also can't. And also like people are giving, are showing you their toolbox and they're like, here's the tools that I have to offer. And we have to say, this works for me, this doesn't, this works for me and this doesn't. And that is empowering, but it can also feel counterproductive to what they teach you in school. Because it's like, suck up everything. You need all of this. You need me, blah, 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 blah. And so I started, I changed the way I was eating and everything. And I felt like I was working at a higher vibration my last year of school. And I was like, I feel like this is easier than what we're all thinking about it. And in terms of, um, of, of auditioning and being on camera and all of those things. And um, one thing that one of my teachers, that Stephen Bisher actually told me was, um, you know, you have everything you need until you don't know what you have. And then he also expressed that he's like, you have this, this high, you know, thing of you're very, very talented, but not every character requires a hundred percent of who you are. And so how do you navigate when to 
you know, pull it back or pump up or be a little, you know. And so that to me was when like something clicked because I, the the energy can feel like, well, work hard and give it all, give yes. it your all. And that can feel like, okay, I'm, I'm giving it my all. That means I'm giving it all of me, but like not every character requires that. Absolutely and so, not. And you're going to drain right. your energy by doing that. And exactly. And then your expectations are going to be higher because why do we have this expectation of, well, if I work my ass off, then like I'm going to be the best and I'm going to get it and I'm going to work. And it's like, no, sometimes actually you don't have to work that hard for that. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels, so then when I, when I transitioned to, I did this, I was doing Midsummer at Kyle Shakes with Marcel and Amber yeah. and and I had all these self tapes, but none of my classmates were available to help me. So they would come to my apartment. They lived in Oakland. I lived in San Francisco. After like a six hour rehearsal, we got out at 10, they'd go home and then be at my place at like 1130 and we'd be up doing self tapes. And it was really important for me to be prepared for the tapes so that I didn't waste their time. And to, if, if my thing is, okay, if, I need more than three takes for this self-tape and I'm not prepared. Mm. And so I would do it and be like, okay, yeah. And I, and I wasn't attached to my work. It wasn't like, this is, this means me. This is me. I am this. It was separate. So I could be objective when I was like watching playbacks and stuff and the energy of, you know, Marcel, when he, when he's taping and he's like, okay, just settle. And he's like talking about like angles and lighting and things like that, things that I didn't know. I feel like I attracted that, right? Like yes. I felt like I needed something else that wasn't my teachers at school or this person or this person. And so that's, that helped propel me into this future of self-taping. And I didn't know until later when speaking to Amber and she was like, girl, I saw you self-taping. I was like, I need to get my shit together because these girls is coming out here with the <laughs> fire. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know, like, I didn't have anything to gauge. Like, was I doing well? Or is this the right way to do it? And, da, 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 da. and so then after that, it was like, okay. And it's, and, and I'm going to come out, you know, with, the full spectrum of what I have to offer. And I know that if I don't get a role, it's not personal to me. It is because me being in that role doesn't serve the bigger project. And what I always want is that the bigger project is served. Yes. And so every time I audition for something, I'm just like, I hope that the bigger project is served. Cause I have some self tapes that I look back on now. Like, bitch, you did that. Yes. You are amazing. Yeah. And didn't get the job, but it still doesn't take back or take from the fact that this is, this was amazing thing. That and happened. someone saw that and someone will remember that it's never going to be on our timeline, but that shit matters. Like, yes, yes. And, and, and the biggest thing is that casting directors want you to do good work. They want you to do the best work. They would rather watch 500 amazing tapes than to not, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, um, I think going then, I think the biggest curve for me or the biggest like thing that I had to just adjust to was going in the room for auditions where I was going to be taped for somebody to see it later, you know? Right. 
Yeah. Because it's not just me and my house being taped. It's also not just me auditioning for the people, for all the people that I'm like auditioning for. It's like the middle of those two. Yeah. It's a weird performative thing, right? Because like the self-tape, I feel like being someone who came from the theater, it took me a really long time to appreciate self-taping for what it was. I Mm. now I'm like, oh, what a blessing, a self-tape. I get to create a little piece of art with my husband or with a friend or like from the comfort of my own home. And I can really like go to dangerous places, which I should be able to do in the room anyway. But um, it is interesting because you're getting, when you go in the room to be on tape that where it's not a callback, as you're saying, it is like, you're getting some performative boost, but it's also not. And so, yeah. So sorry, I interrupted. Tell me more about that. Cause that no, is a it's, good point. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing because in the, like, like you said, the theater mind, the theater mind tells me in the room is somehow equivalent to play like a play or play, yeah. but, but, in the room for TV and film, you still have to be like a little bit of a muted version because you still have to translate on camera. One of my somebody that you don't know there. It's, it's a whole, yeah. Yes, one of my worst experiences was, was a call, it was a producer session and I had like, you know, worked on it and prepared it in the way that I'm thinking like the box. And I get there and they're like, we're actually on a monopod handheld, so feel free to move. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, and I feel like that just like, I was not able to calibrate in real time. But mm-hmm. it is so fascinating, like what we uh, kind of rest on our laurels about in terms of being in a room or, or self-taping or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I got, I got, the, I got the swing of things. It, I became like, you know, when I go into a room, I, I make an observation about the room and it, and it sets me into the present moment. It also like personalizes the relationship between me and the, the um, casting directors. And that is helpful to me. So I don't feel like I'm just like in this room, now I got to talk to a stranger and yeah. like do this tape and da da da. And then it became fun and it was a it was a really fun thing and I I told myself when I graduated from school that I would I would book a series regular in six months that was my thing I was like in six months I'm gonna be book a series regular and I remember saying it and um sometimes I feel like in grad school people want to be helpful by being quote-unquote realistic but what it do what it does is it dampens the imagination so yeah. I'm saying, oh, I, I'm going to do this thing in six months. Like this thing is, is happening. And to people who can't calculate something that didn't already happen and they want to quote unquote save you, it feels like, you know, it's really hard. And sometimes it takes, you know, most of the time it takes Jerry, it's going to take years. you 10 years. <laughs> 10 years is the thing. That's, a, that's Why the They thing all say that. Say. That is, that is so funny that you said 10 years because that is, the thing that I heard, even when I got the job um, doing Harlem or the Untitled Tracy Oliver project, um, my agent called and was like, do you know that this usually takes people 10 years? And it's like, well, if everybody is putting 10 years into then yeah, vibration. It is going to take us all 10 years. Exactly. And so it's like, I'm not surprised that it takes everybody 10 years because there's a group census right now that 
for 10 years of your life, you're just going to be trying. For, yeah. For and like shovel, your, shovel your shit, like, you know, do your co-stars and then work up to your guest star and then like test against the same girls for five years in a row and don't get it. And it's like, that does not have to be the trajectory at all. Mm-mm. And I think that putting, you're totally right. Like, and putting that in our mind is also making us disrespect ourselves and our individuality. Like, oh yeah, because you're on this track just like everyone else and go with your type and you know, you'll all come up together and whatever. And it's like, or maybe I'm just really right for a certain story. Six months out of school. So was your timing right? Yes. So, so November, November, I graduated on May 20th, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, November 14th which is six days before my six month mark is when I got the call that I booked the job. Oh my God. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. Wow. It was a wonderful journey. And, there, and I have to say this part too, the waiting was also really hard. Yeah. The, the being still was also really hard. There was a, a moment in um in October, a really vulnerable moment that I had where I was like, what am I doing? And that question really came from the fact that with me saying that I wanted to book a series regular in six months, I also felt like I didn't want to get a day job. Like I wanted acting to be my yeah. job. And I'm also yeah. a writer and I was like writing a book. And I'm like, well, who's paying you to do this? Right. So it got to the point where it was like, things weren't coming to fruition and the things that I were be, was being sent were amazing because my agents and my manager saw me in this certain bracket, but in this bracket of like recurs and uh, guest star or mm-hmm. guest stars mm-hmm. is like all these people who have been working for 10 years and have this thing. And I'm the new chicken town and I'm going to these auditions like, um, where you know and and it didn't make me unsettled and I still did my best work but it got to the point where I was like what is happening and it also is a testament to me and how I'm just like this all the time yeah that when I had to slow down I'm like what and so I had this whole big like thing I actually called Marcel and Amber and I was like should I just be working in corporate uh, <laughs> and Marcel, as soon as he is, he was like, "Well, if you, I mean, if you really think that you should be working in corporate, I think you should do what you want. But I also think that Jerry, you're an actor, yeah. And so, and so, then what? 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 It was what it was telling me because I listened to my body and I listened to the messages. What it was telling me was that there was there was some maybe some expectation that I was holding on to, yes. or maybe I was I was like there was a jadedness coming in or whatever it was. I felt like there was a lot of things going on and I needed to center myself and I needed to get one with myself and the higher source and God. And so I spent a few days doing that. And then I did this manifestation. Um, I wrote down, like, I wasn't clear. I wrote down clearly what I wanted, how I wanted to feel on set, what I wanted the people to be like so clearly. That is very key because it's like, if you just put the series regular, it's not going to come through. It's like, you really have to be specific about like, what kind of story do I want to tell? What kind of people do I want to be around? How do I want to feel? I've noticed for me, I don't know if you're into human design at all, but like there are 
your chart will tell you if you're specific or non-specific manifester. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're pretty specific. Yeah. But I'm non-specific. Yeah. So for me, the key things is like, I have to put down feelings. Mm -hmm. That's but good. That's, that's good. amazing. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it, as I was writing, cause really it's not about what you write. What you're saying is, is so true. It's really about how you feel when you're writing it and about transport, whatever your key is to transport you to that place that you're feeling as if it is happening slash has already happened. Right. That's the key. Because if I'm just like, I want a series regular yeah. and yeah. I want it to be a cool job. And, yeah. I mean, I get, it's like, the, it's not attached to any emotion. And really the underlying thing with the energy that I just gave is that it can't really happen, but I guess I got to write down because that's what people saying that you're supposed to do. It's like, it has to be in a pure, clear place. Yeah. And so that day I did that maybe like a Sunday that Monday, October 21st, I got um, in my audition for Good Trouble. Wow. Or my audition for, my audition for my audition for Harlem for October 22nd. And I had been getting messages about like the importance of October 22nd. And then like five hours later, as I'm working on this Harlem audition, they give me the audition for Good Trouble. And they were like, oh, it's also tomorrow. And watch a few episodes. And I'm like, it's already six o'clock. I have like how many pages of sides for this series regular? But also, like, do you want me to do this, watch these shows? So I started watching the shows. And then I was, like, talking to my friend. I'm like, no, Jimmy, you got to get you got to get serious. But the writing on both shows were impeccable. And so it actually is easier for me as a writer to memorize when the writing is good. Oh, when yeah. It, no question. And to have a sense of who the character is and everything. Yes, it's clear. It's clear. So... I went into that day and I, and I had a talk with my friend, Larry Powell. Larry! And, um, we were talking about demonstrations, right? Because we're always asking the universe to give us something. But a different way of looking at it that day, what I was practicing was show me, dem demonstrate. Demonstrate to me that I'm on the right path. Demonstrate to me that I'm doing the right thing. Demonstrate to me that you hear the clarity of my manifestations. Mm. And so I had... I had demonstrated, I still have it, I guess, I think on my, um, my home screen, I know that I have it on my home screen, is, um, is, is, is the word demonstrate because I wanted to be reminded that day. And it was that day that I, that I put it up there. And so I was just asking for demonstrations. And I'm telling you, I went into the first job and I auditioned for, for um, the Untitled Tracy Oliver Project first. And she was like, great. It's, I mean, all throughout the, 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 the process of producer sessions or whatever, it was just like, this is exactly, this is what we want. And so I knew that I had that job. And then I auditioned for Good Trouble, like a few hours later. I mean, Spirit took me to the, uh, the, 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 what is it called? The Brady Bunch house in between. And I walked to the audition and it was just like all these like synchronicities. I had just watched the um, HGTV, which is my favorite channel to watch, episode of them redoing this Brady Bunch house. And it was the midpoint of these two auditions. And so- Like step by step, you were on the right path. Right. And so as I'm walking to these auditions, I remember walking this block, this street, and it was a very residential area. And I'm walking this street and my and spirit is telling me to go straight. But all of these signs keep saying no outlet, dead end, no outlet, dead end. And I'm like, no, I think I should just turn right here. Because what if there's no, like, I can't, 
I have to walk all the way back. And so I'm like, no, it's telling me to go straight. It's telling me to go straight. And it wasn't until I see that this, this last block is a dead end. And I don't know if there's a place to turn or anything. And I'm thinking as I'm on the corner of this block, I should just turn here and avoid the trouble. And Spirit was like, no, go straight. And I go straight. And literally there were these small little steps on the side of the last house that went to this bridge that took me to the street that I needed to, to, to be on, which was such a great metaphor because had I just turned when I thought there's no way that I'm going to get to where I'm going, going this way. But my spirit was telling me it was, had I turned and not trusted my spirit, then I would have, it would have been a topple effect. Right. Yeah. And it was such, it was like, no. So, so then that gave me this other propeller of like, you are in the right direction. I am really showing you your demonstrations. And so I auditioned for a good trouble. And I actually auditioned for a different role than the role that I played on the Uh show. And they were like, um, the guy I was reading with the guy, and he was like, it's something about your energy. I just can't help but smile around you. And he was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I really think that you need to be on this show. And it was funny because before I went into the audition, I got a call from my agent and he was like, the casting director says she don't know when a producer session is going to be, but you got a producer session. And so I was like, um, so I'm like, I, I think I booked these jobs. And so then that night I found out that, um, or the next day I found out that I booked a good trouble job. And then the next day I get a call from my manager and they were like, they want to switch your role. And um, I'm like, oh, why? And so he was like, you know, I was talking to them. They probably wrote like, you one. They, but I was, they were like, um, he, he was saying, he was asking them, like, is this because you're nervous because it's her first time? Like, what is happening? And they were like, no, this other role is possibly going to be a recur- recurring role next season. Um, and we want more of her. And so we want her to do this. And she's still, for this season, she's still going to get the same amount of episodes and everything else is going to be the same. Um, but we want this, we, we want her. And so it was like, that's when the thing started to, you know, just, just blossom. And I yeah. knew that what I had to do was surrender. I, had to, I wasn't in a state of surrender. I wasn't in a state of trusting. And as soon as I surrendered and I trusted, everything fell in line. There's no coincidence that I got those two auditions on the same day and book both of, both of them. Oh, yeah. No coincidence at all. Oh, yeah. Especially after sitting down and writing your spell of manifestation. It sounds to me, and this is this is mine too. I think it's many people's, but I always like to look at people's like personal like soul patterns of manifestation. And it sounds like yours really is a surrender and you're going to go on a winding, crazy fucking path and then boom, 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 things are going to happen. Like right. thinking about your story with San Diego and with all like – it's so beautiful. So do you feel like the biggest like activator for you besides like using the best possible language and like really keeping spirit greater in the driver's seat and ego in the passenger seat? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it really is just surrender? Yeah. But I, I feel I feel like uh sometimes and maybe maybe the it is like the battle of the ego thing, sometimes my spirit is just like, why I got to get to this point before I surrender? Why can't I just surrender first? You Me know? too. But, but the thing really is that our human experience can't really exist without conflict. And so the reality of it is 
that I get better and better every time. Yeah. The reality of it is I get clearer and clearer every time. The reality of it is it's not always like, it doesn't always get to the point where my back is up against the wall and then I get to a state of surrenderment. It, it happens fairly quickly. Yeah. And that like, if my back wasn't up against the wall, would I have been so specific? Would right. I have been like in a place where I'm dreaming huge? Because I'm also like, when I, I was the first one of the four girls to get the call that I got the job for um, the Untitled Tracy Oliver Which project. is crazy, because they're like, <laughs> Also, these amazing, <laughs> like, right. experienced actors, like... Right, beautiful, beautiful people. And then I, I had met Grace, and um, and Grace found out next, and so we knew we had the job, and then they were still trying to figure out the other two, and we went back and did the um, producer session with them, and Grace and Megan had already been friends, and uh, Shaniqua had done the producer se session as well the first time, and, and the casting agents really were fighting for her because she's mm. such a brilliant actress she's mm. and she's such a um a beautiful and grounded person and so it was just like we came together and it was like and it, it was really best case scenario um and but but it was what i had written because i think also too you can get a series regular and hate your job exactly and i think <laughs> like for i in. spent years like and I think my back was up against the wall for three years, but I spent years literally just being like, I want to be a series regular on a show that like the industry watches. Guess what? Nothing's going to come through because that's your ego. That has nothing to do with you as an artist and all these things. And I had plenty of friends who would be like under lock and key and be like, Ugh. and I even worked on a show, recurred on a show where I was like, wow, all of these series regulars are the most miserable people and it's such a shitty environment to be around because it's like, we should be making believe. We should be like doing fun magic. And when people are literally like, I ask them to write me off this every week. You're like, this is so low vibe and shitty. And yes. it's like, no, 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 no. Yes. So yeah, it is like, you're going to be under contract in a very serious way. So you do, you do want it to be in alignment, you know, like. And, and yours sounds like it us. really yeah. is. Oh my God, the most beautiful experience. And I think it, 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 there's like this, I don't like to say a trickle down effect because that assumes a hierarchy, but there's a trickle over effect yeah. when like the people who hired you are like in a high vibrational place and people you're working with are in a high vibrational place and, and the PAs are, or these people or that people, it like, it, it, it creates a, a special environment. And there is no moment that we've shot like um, a scene where there's a lot of extras, where extras didn't come up to us afterwards and was like, I just love your energies. I can't wait to watch this show, like where people are excited. Mm -hmm. And I think um, something about me as, as an empath, I remember we uh, were doing this scene where um, my character was in a bar and maybe somebody says something to, and it was this, this queer bar. Maybe somebody said something to one of the actresses or the extras, and she was extremely hurt and upset. And it might have been like a PA or somebody who was just trying to do their job or trying to get their work done. Um, but I could feel that she was upset. And so we're doing these takes. And so at, in between one take, I just went up to her and I was like, I don't know what you're upset about, 
but I want you to know that I see you and I feel you. And if there's anything that I can do after we're done shooting this to help assist you get whatever you need to get out or to get to somebody um, in a high position or whatever, um, we can do it, you know? And this girl was almost in tears. And it's like, it's stuff like that where I feel like it's important for me to um, protect queer spaces, right? Because sometimes it can be, and black spaces and spaces with women, sometimes those things can be looked over. And it's not that people are intentionally trying to harm people, but people are more vulnerable. Queer women of color are very, very vulnerable. And there's a certain level of, of care and respect that, that goes into, that should go into um, when, when working in, in those environments. And I, and I felt like I don't think that anybody was trying to be malicious, but somebody hurt her and, and, and it triggered something in her that she, you know, just, she was just kept, she kept whoever the other girl was that she was with, she just kept replaying this thing. And she said this and I said, and she said, and I'm like, really, she's just hurt, you know? Yeah. And, and if I can do anything to help you in this moment and you don't even have to shift your energy, I'm not asking you to feel better. It's not about like me in this moment. It's about you knowing that like, I'm not about to go on about my work and pretend like I don't see that this is, this is happening. Yeah. Um, and I want you to know that like, I, I am here and, and, and we aren't condoning like anybody being violated or hurt in, on this set and especially not in this in this space and so i think people i think people can see that and feel that um from the show even people who haven't seen the show or, or seen us and i think it's special that you know we have a genuine connection outside of being um work friends yeah. and that will translate on camera because i'm not trying to pretend like i'm friends with these women I am and we get to play and because I am I get to I can trust myself enough to go to different places because there's something too about being in a space where you know your scene partner is like oh, I've been trying to get them to kill me off yeah. for the past few episodes and you have to be vulnerable with that person that you know doesn't want to be there yeah, some people can still fucking kill it and do the work they're supposed to be doing, but imagine the levels that you can go when you're looking at a person and I could say some fly shit as my character to you and know that I don't have to be like, wait, you know, when I said this thing, I was just, it was just, I don't have to, there's not like trepidation around like the full expression right. of what this actually is. Right. Ugh. How... I feel, first of all, I also just want to say that it's such a testament to you and also is like further proof to me of why you so, I mean, you inherently deserve this, but why you deserve to be a regular already is behavior like that. It is so important that people who are in positions of, you know, top however many on the call sheet, that they are available to the full set and set the tone. And, you know, we need more women. We need more women of color. We need people to occupy those spaces in a sort of wholehearted caregiving way, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm so moved to hear that story. How do you, what are some practices you have to stay in this incredible, incredibly high vibrational state that you are in. How do you stay in your magic? It sounds like, you know, we all do. And you had that 
brief moment before all of this came through for you where you were like, do I need to get this corporate job? But how do you stay in your magic, in your beliefs, in your embodiment? Tell us. Um, so I think um, my the way that I eat is very helpful. Yeah. Not having processed sugar. When I have sugar, like if I had something that has sugar in it, my heart rate is up. I'm like, it's like no good. <laughs> yeah. Not in alignment with me. I don't feel like me. Um, and I become a little more anxious and a little more paranoid. And I don't, I don't like that. And so, um, maintaining a sense of, 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 of respect for my body and what I'm, what I'm taking in mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so, um, I do a lot of kundalini yoga. I do meditate a lot. I do a lot of reading because I'm always like wondering how to expand the way that I'm thinking um, and expand my being here on earth, my spirit having this human experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like to have so much fun. Like I don't, really I'm not really like I can I do get serious about things like I'm, I'm I can be serious about work but I think that the two aren't mutually exclusive and so I like to dance I like to sing at the top of my lungs oh I can listen to my playlist on repeat I know what song is going to be next and it's things like that that help me cooking helps me to get into a better vibration writing helps me to get into mm -hmm. a, um, a better vibration so I learned my body and learned what I needed so that like when something is happening, there are these things, this toolbox that I, my toolbox, Jerry's toolbox that I have that I know will get me into a, a better place. But really it's knowing that like there's so many big things that are possible yeah. and we haven't tapped into that, which is why we're going through what we're going through because something had to happen to one, force us to sit our asses down and reflect. Yes. But two, so that the, the, so that Gaia can heal. And also so that we can recognize just how quickly things can be taken away. Yes. And we, we, if we all, something that I wish for is that like we come to a point of collective consciousness because that's yeah. what the age of Aquarius is about. We're coming in. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if we all got to a point where we're really asking the universe for things that we've never even seen on earth, for things that we sometimes people will say it's impossible. Well, it was impossible to send an electric current from one place to another for there to be light. There was candles, but we don't have candles anymore. It was impossible for, I mean, Airplanes. how small our phones were, airplanes. It's just like to get all of these things in. And there's something that's interesting that's happening, right? These, the, the chips that are in computers and TVs and things like that are, they were being ran, you know, there, a lot of them are modeled by the brain, but there is these new chips that are being run on water and it's almost like these chips have an infinite amount of space and there's an infinite amount of things that they can do. People are wondering, well, how, how is it, how is this water thing like working in this way? And it's really because the water is just the vessel yeah. to the infinite expansion and it's the best vessel 
to use because it is so movable. And so I think that there, there is a way for us to reflect nature in a more, in a more, I guess, apparent way, in a more, in a more, in a way that, that is more um, steeped into like how we came about, which I think we're so far from. We are so far. Exactly. So, 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 so far. And so I'm excited about this time. And I think it's fun. I think manifesting is fun. It's fun for me to out manifest myself. Yeah. It's fun for me to be like, you know, um, I listen to Abraham Hicks a lot, right? And she says this thing about um, it takes the same amount of energy to manifest a button as it does to manifest a castle. And I'm writing this this book about healing. Um, and there was, I wanted to do a, tr- a, a, a chapter on buttons and castles. Yeah. And as I was writing, down my castles which were castles in the moment that they were castles now they feel like buttons yeah 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 and so it's like you're constantly outgrowing your manifestations constantly outgrowing the what's big to you oh my god i thought it was huge to live in california i thought that was like a huge thing and now it's like oh yeah california is you know it's things like that and it's and it doesn't mean that i take for granted that i did manifest that castle in that right. moment it's just me recognizing how far i've come that i'm like putting down numbers or putting down things and watching these things come into my life and trusting that i don't have to do anything but what feels good but feel good and be in the feeling good moment to to receive because we get so wrapped up in the how and the why yeah and how ain't my business i talk about it all the time i know the time isn't my business either although in your case it might be with the six months thing but for me i'm always like it never my stuff is like not on a timeline that i don't know the timeline as well as god universe does so i'm always like oh well like Here's mm-hmm. how I want to feel. And, and you know what, like a key to manifestation recently that I, that's come kind of crystallized for me is like, also just live your life. Like sometimes you're just going through days where you're just living your life, you know? And if you really squeeze the juice out of that, then before you know it, the thing's going to be here. But when you're like hyper-focused on it and like, yes. when is it coming? When, when is it going to be here? Then you're not you're not celebrating life. You're not doing or being what you present. Do yeah. Yes, yes. I love to be. Pre- that that is something I think that is like the most important thing to me is being present mm-hmm. because if I'm so worried about like my manifestations coming to fruition or this thing and that thing that I can't be here, then I miss because really. And this is something that Abraham talks about too, is that we, we want to experience the life, like life happening in the midst of us getting to that manifestation. It's, it's about those things that happen in the in-between. Cause if it was really just about getting there, then we get there and then what? We want something else and we get there and then what? Exactly. And so it's like so beautiful to be present in life. And sometimes I feel like, not that I'm too present, but like I can I can get really wrapped up in things and then I'm just like, where did <laughs> shit go? But I don't, I don't, but I think that it's 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 an important thing because what I've experienced, especially being in LA, 
um, for the small amount of time that I was. But when I was there, people aren't used to people being present with them. They sure it's aren't. It's all calculated. It's all, and so when I'm just like, hey, how are you? And, and it's like, it's kind of, people are like, who are you? And what do you do? And how yeah. did you come into my life? And I know that inherently I'm a healer. My ancestors were he- healers. And it's something that's really important to me. And, I, and I've been really trying to not figure out how I'm supposed to heal because I feel like I've been doing it, mm-hmm. but I've been, I've been more leaning into slash embracing that, that part of me. And when I am, when I do, cause I see people clearly and I, I meet people where they are and I see people for who they are. And it's so interesting, interesting to me how shocking that is for people, mm-hmm. how much people have never experienced that. And it's like this, should be the baseline. This should be the bare minimum. But now we're going into a new normal to where when people go outside, you have to see and experience people because now your awareness has to be heightened because of this thing that, that we're, we're navigating. And so that I feel like people are more present now. People are more in the now. People are more figuring out what, are, what they actually need in the moment and what is just like, you trying to hold on to things yeah. because people aren't working. And so now that you aren't working, do you really love to do this thing? Or is this thing, the thing that you were doing to run away from you, to run yeah. away from your true essence, to run away from your life's purpose, to run Who away are from you when what the hamster you, wheel is not available. When everything so many falls people, away. So many people attach their identities to work. And I feel like my passion work, my job is something that I enjoy, but it's not me. It's not who I am. And so many people are like, well, if I'm not working, what does that mean about me? Exactly. When you're not working, what does that mean about you? That is an important question to pose. Been there many, many times. And this period feels like relief in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's permission to like spend my days in a very childlike state. And if there's no money or ambition attached, what do I want to do? What makes me feel good? You know, who do I want to spend time with? Who do I want to connect with? I'm forced to connect with myself a lot, which is really nice. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a lot of people are freaking out right now because they are faced with, with, themselves in a way that is really um new yeah it's new exactly it's the breaking of the matrix it's the breaking of like you said the hamster mind the the worker bee the um the the crabs it's like now that this is now that this is because really i think really 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 a big thing that's happening is the american dream is being shattered and we identify so much with the American dream, with pulling up yourself by your bootstraps, with the stock market, with really working to, to, you know, to, to provide for your family and to have these things and the picket fence. And, the, and now that the American dream is being dismantled and we're all on the same vibration or the yep. same field or whatever, who are you? Yeah. Who are you now that you can't say, well, I'm making this amount of money or you, or I'm, I control this, or I'm the CEO of this, or I'm the this of this. Who are you when that American dream is being shattered? And how can we, now that we know that it can go at any moment, now is a time to shift what it means. 
individually what it means back your sovereignty like you are the sovereign in your home in your body and everywhere and when you're not connected with all this and trying to get ahead it's like you we can this is an opportunity to take our power back and to not give it away again you know i'm so hopeful that that will happen and yeah everyone who's like mourning being like we're just uh spending all this money and no one's making any i'm like it's gonna work it'll work out like probably for the better because the system wasn't serving most people anyway so at all at all i hope Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's inevitable though yeah yeah we i mean we were we were needing a shift in the 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 interesting thing about the shift in the american dream is that really like there's this the the one percent is real and so it's like now what happens now that we're all in the same place like you have to look to the other people in the community you have to now think about the middle class and the poor class and the impoverished everybody has to be thought about in this moment because it's greed can't persist in the 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 new era of COVID-19 it can't persist in, in 2020. It can't persist in the age of Aquarius. And I think what 2020 thought when she brought her ass in was like, oh yeah, I'm a, y'all gonna be better. Y'all gonna be so much better. And then we weren't. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Jane, we got y'all. And so that was, I feel like that was really, it's, it's really this, this, this larger lesson about really what we need to survive and how do we create a sense of balance in the world that is helpful to us individually, collectively, and worldly. The fact that like China is clearing up without all the, you know, global warming is, is, is a real thing and people can see that it's possible to reverse it. But imagine if you told, if, if we said, or whoever said, Everybody stay in your house for a week so that we can heal the earth or two weeks. Yeah, now I'm like, does this need to be a quarterly mandate so that we don't have like refugee, like uh, climate crisis refugees in the next 10 years? Like stay inside quarterly? Exactly, exactly. And now people are building the tools and now people know that it's, you know, it's possible. and, and, And now people know that like, I feel like people are, it's like waves of people like taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. And there's like, oh, now these people are taking it serious. Now these people are taking it serious. Oh, now that it's got, because people really, I think there, there needs to be a higher sense of empathy yeah. that doesn't require something to be happening to you or yeah. your family Without members. Without cost. For you, to, for, you to, for you to take it seriously and for you yeah. to think about the larger scope of things. And I think right. people are very one track minded and do like empathy outside of their own experience. And, and this is, and that's why we have such a high poverty line. That's why we have such, such a high, um, um, a wage gap because it's like, Oh, but that don't affect me. I'm still cashing my check. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good in my home with my fence. Like exactly, exactly. And so now it's like, okay, I'm not good. Yeah. Also, the middle class isn't good. Also, the poor class. So how do we... And I feel like um, <laughs> there's a level, there's, there's an interesting level, because I grew up really, really poor. And um, 
and my family is still is still living in like an underserved community yeah. and things like that um so, some of my family members and so it's interesting calling them and it's it's not like such a big shift like unemployment isn't such a big thing because niggas lose their job every day and every every three months people got new jobs and so it's like now everybody else is just unemployed you know yes so it's level the like, playing field thank god right 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 because right. you're right we need this empathy it's like this this false sense of and people think they are empathetic you know and subscribing to these specific belief systems that, and it's it's not they're not actually living that it's so it feels necessary and so exciting yeah yeah i have some questions for you from instagram that i want to make sure i touch on yeah okay Oh, this is good, especially for you and all your magic. To someone in their new in their spiritual journey, what advice would you give them? Uh, be patient. I um, created these these uh, stages, actually, like these twelve stages of healing is what I call them. And I feel like when I was in LA, I kept getting these people who would come to me, who would come to my house. I would cook them dinner and stuff. And it wasn't like officially like, oh, I'm, I'm teaching, whatever. But like these, these women, specifically black women, who were searching for this like spirit, who were on this spiritual quest. And most of them were in this stage that I call the identity crisis, uh-huh. which I think is a, is a very potent stage. And this thing isn't linear, right? It's like ebbs and flow. It's a cycle. It's a line. It's a square. It's whatever you want it to be. But the stage of the identity crisis is when you're in this place where you're on your spiritual journey, and you've gotten to, you're getting to the, getting aligned with your true essence and your true essence has dissonance with the person that you was who, or the person that you were, which is your survival persona. And so there's no way that your survival persona can survive with your enlightened self. They are mutually exclusive. And so in the identity crisis stage, you start to question, well, who am I? Well, if I don't take this client who am I? Well, if I'm not taking this job, if I'm denying this job, who am I? Well, if I'm spending more time at home, who am I? I am the person that goes out with my friends. Now I'm not hanging out with my friends and our relationship has shifted. Were we just friends because we were drinking buddies? Were we just friends because I was giving them million dollar energy and only cashing in pennies from them? Can I, can I talk to my mom on a regular basis without being triggered? I feel like I'm more sensitive to that now. Now I'm not talking. All of these things come up and it feels like the easier thing would be to go back into survival persona because everybody knows and everybody likes it. Mm-hmm. And that's how you've built your life. That is how you built your foundation. But really, if you sit in those moments and trust that the people who are supposed to be there will rise to the top. The, the things that you're supposed to have will rise. You won't be unemployed for long, which is funny because now we're all unemployed. But all of these things will kind of iron themselves out. And if you can sit in being that uncomfortable, then you propel into like the next stages and then it feels like everything is easy. But that stage of like, I want to quit my job and pursue something totally different. 
well, I want to do this and do this. that stage in, in, in trusting the spiritual nature of it all, of getting quiet, of being, of, of, of getting away from the monkey mind and, and trying to um, be in a more, a state of clarity after getting past that stage, which is, which is really difficult you there there's there's all this beauty and clarity on the other side yeah and so i i feel like when i when i feel like another identity crisis crisis is coming up which i feel like also plays into the fact that like we have to embrace embrace death i feel like jerry has died and be re- reborn been reborn so many times just in the past four years yeah and i embrace that and i'm okay with that and some people have I have more of a difficulty with that but I feel like if you sit in in that moment and you embrace that moment and you get clear and you get still still everything else and the more times you go through the identity crisis or this thing comes back whatever 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 you have more tools for it right you're you're sharper in it and so I say I say all of that to say to be patient and to know that it's going to be a mess before it clears up. And also that your spiritual journey is like nobody else's spiritual journey. Yeah. And so for you, meditation might look like sitting down with your legs crossed and your fingers together. Meditation might look like taking a dance class. Meditation might look like cooking soup. Meditation, it, it looks different. And I think that there is a way that um, the, the way that, that, that wellness has turned into this huge corporation. Yes. That it can feel like. It's colonized. Wellness it's colonized. is colonized. Exactly. And it's taken from a lot of like ancient tradition, um, e- Eastern traditions, Chinese traditions, all of these things. And it looks more white and it looks more thin and it looks more rich and it looks more, but you're not going to a monk and asking him what his bank account is. Yeah. But he's fine and he's alive and he's yeah. living and people still come to him and people still respect him and, and, or her and they're revered because that, that is, that, that is, that is what it looks like for them. Yeah. And so it doesn't always look like money or it doesn't always look like whatever it could look like actually I have all these things in my house and I really just want to live a more simple and minimal lifestyle watching shows from like, you know, the, the twenties and thirties and forties and stuff where people just wanted to provide for their family. It wasn't about who has the nicest car, who has that many followers on Instagram. They just wanted to like have enough money to like buy food and pay bills and like spend time with their family. You know what I mean? And so I think that there's something really beautiful and and simple in that. something that I really love in that because I also want to, I also have a desire to, um, to like have like a small cabin in the woods and like live there where it's not a conventional thing. And I'm not worried about like, I do love home decor, so wall color is important to me. Yeah, but I'm not like I'm not like thinking about those things <laughs> in, an, in an immediate way. So I think um, being patient is one thing, and 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 finding what works for you. Yeah. I found out that that regular yoga it's just not my thing, but Kundalini yoga will get me right where I need to be. 
There's something about the chanting. There's something about um, the emphasis on the chakras that yeah. just get me. And I feel like when I'm doing, um, and, and, and I don't even mean to call it regular yoga, I feel like it's the, uh, the, the, maybe the most well-known or maybe the- Vinyasa. Think of yoga. Yeah. Like Vinyasa, just the flow. Just the flow. Yeah. I, would, I would be dizzy and I would feel like, and it actually made me like more, it makes me more anxious when I'm doing it. Now that I do Kundalini, I feel like I, I, I am better at Vinyasa. Yeah. Um, but before then that just wasn't, it just didn't get me where I wanted to be. And so it's like trying those things out. I realized that I meditate better when I'm exhausted. So if I go for a run before I meditate, that works for me because my, I'm already focused and my mind is, is not blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I meditate better earlier or not even, it's not even better, but like it's easier to get my mind clear when yeah. it's earlier because I didn't think about, I didn't get on Instagram and I saw this post and I saw this person and I saw that and now I'm thinking about all of that and now I'm looking at the bills and now I'm blah, 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 blah. The day didn't penetrate me yet. Right. So now I can get ahead of it if it's earlier. So it's right. things like little things like that, that, that can help you out. Oh, if I have some, some green juice or if I, if I keep a cup of water by my bed at night when I wake up and I can just drink water or in order for me to get a drink a lot, of, you know, all of the things that, that can help set you up um, on a spiritual journey and knowing that like shit is going to come to you. And it's going to be weird sometimes. It's going to feel weird sometimes or abnormal outside of the norm. But that's the juicy spot. Yeah. When you're getting those downloads that are like, how am I connecting this with this? That is the juicy spot. When you're getting those messages, when things are becoming clearer or like bigger or like things are being pieced together or you're just, that is the juicy spot. And sometimes... You're going to share things with people and they're going to try to show you their toolbox and tell you that this is actually what you need, not what you have. This is what you need. But that's not, that's not, that's, that's their ego wanting to, wanting validation from you that what they're doing is the right thing. Right. Even though it's different from what you're doing. So if you were doing what I was doing, then I get validation that what I'm doing is the right way and we can all be okay. Right. But no, 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 no what you feel like is your thing sitting by plants meditating outside whatever feels right and be okay with trying thing things and trying something for a long time and being like yeah i don't think this is my thing yeah stay curious else. stay curious stay, and now is such a good curious. window for that i've been noticing mm -hmm. with myself i'm like oh, maybe I don't want to do that routine. And also like, I mean, I'm so crazy about tracking my cycle and stuff, but I'm like, when I'm menstrual, I can't do that. Like that exercise isn't going to make me feel the same way. Exactly. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Just like, yeah, that's such good advice. Like stay curious about your own blueprint and know that it's going to change all the time. Mm -hmm. And the menstrual, I know you're going to go to the next question, but also yeah. what you said, the menstrual is important because it our powers in our menstrual cycle oh. we have so much power in our menstrual cycle so I yeah don't you feel like recently it. i've been tapping into like that that is when the creative brain is the is the is ruling so it's like okay cool i might not feel like as sharp per se or like mm -hmm. but the the other wisdom is there that is like so good 
so good. You just have to give mm-hmm. her space, like give, give her, her space, space, slow down her for space. her. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Okay. Let me see if there's anything else that I missed. Cause people of course are matching your energy and came through with such good questions. Um, have you ever artistically doubted yourself? Um, yes. I feel like that was my three years of grad school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I felt like what I, how I worked inherently was in direct conflict with how I was told to work. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, I, did, I did the Bacchae with Stephen Bishop. Ooh. And um, I was uh, the first messenger or something like that. And there was like, there was this monologue that was like three pages long. Yep, 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 yep. And I would do the monologue and I would feel myself like having an out of body uh, experience. And I was afraid because I, because I thought that I would hurt somebody or I I would like black out and not know I would lose control. Right. Um, And through in this process, we didn't start off at the table with the script, which is how most process start. We started off playing. He put a bunch of of stuff in the room and we played. Um, Then like like in the middle of the week or like going into the second week, he would throw scripts out there and he we would play with like text, but we hadn't even read the whole thing together as a group. Mm. And then it was somewhere like end of second week or middle of second week that we actually sat down together and read the script. And I could feel some of my white colleagues feel uncomfortable, feel like they were all feel like, what is this? This can't, this is not how you're supposed to do this and doubting the process because it wasn't the Western process. And for me, this felt like my soft spot. It was the best that I had ever felt in a process. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And the, and so the text even went deeper. And so then when I was doing this, this monologue, it was, it was taking me to, to a, a, um, a different place. And, so then when I did my, um, my solo project, when I was uh, commissioned by a theater in the Bay Area to do my solo show, I was like, fuck all that I've learned. I'm going to do this the way I wanted to do this, want to do this. And for the first week, I would just dance. Yes. And then the dancing turned into dancing and then chanting. And then it turned into dancing and then chanting and then singing. And then it was like, it was like all these layers. And in the, at the end of the first week and, and, you know, the, um, the producers, they were a little nervous, like y'all don't have a show. My lighting designer would just start putting these floor lights in, lighting me. My director would like give me tasks and questions after I had this hour of like spiritual work that I was doing. Like I was really conjuring. Yeah, you were channeling. Exactly. And so then at the end of this, this week or at the beginning, the top of the next week, I started doing it. I started like dancing and then I started doing the thing. I had this playlist uh, prepared. And then at some point, I was like, okay, turn off the music. I got it. And I sat in my computer and I wrote the whole first and second half of this show. It just came. And that is me learning how I work. And so for me, 
it was a lot of self-doubt being in these spaces where it's like, well, this is how you work with Shakespeare. And, and Shakespeare is one of my favorite writers. And I feel like I have such, as a poet, I have such an affinity to, to, to Shakespeare. And also it's so, it can be so accessible, but if, if people didn't have such, didn't have such a hold on it or didn't make it so like, well, it is Shakespeare. I mean, I'm this sure This is Shakespeare... how you get in. This is the rigidity of how you must right. get in. And if you haven't and done it... this work, then you are not like. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and, that's, and that's not the case. And so it feels to me like in my process of, of being an artist and being an actress was similar to my, my, my spirituality process. And both things are very, very, very connected. Um, is that there was doubt when I was trying to do a more colonized version of what felt inherent when I would do, uh, Tremoring, which is probably why Kundalini feels so great. Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah. And and Fitz Morris work. Yeah, that felt most natural. That felt yes. most like me. When I would do, um, I remember doing this 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 exercise in, in one of the embodiment classes, and I had an orgasm, and I shared with my class that uh, you know this is happening, and this this guy in my class, one of um, this white guy in my class, was like oh my gosh, Jerry, you make everything sexual. And one that comes from the history of policing black women's bodies of this experience, because fast forward two years later, our third year where he's having a similar experience. And now he's, he, he's wanting to connect with me about that moment when he kind of tried to dismiss or belittle the experience that that I was having. And so um, I, it wasn't until I started to trust my power, which was really like my third year of grad school, like trust that my power is, is, can, can exist in, in any space, in any room and shouldn't be made smaller. Or I shouldn't get smaller because I'm in a certain room and really an important, 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 important experience that I had was I did this arts, re- this queer arts residency. So there was all queer, black, femme identifying or gender non-conforming people in this residency. And and this was after my first year, in between my first year and second year of school, it, it happened in Oakland. Um, and I applied and I was like, cause I, I had a friend and she was like, oh, I'm gonna apply, you should apply. So I applied and they only accepted like, maybe like seven people um, from the Bay. And it was about, um, the theme was the people can fly, which is this African American folk tale about uh, slaves flying off the um the plantation and going into a, a different place and so it talks so we talked a lot about ancestors which is something that I was interested in in my spiritual journey and I didn't feel like I had any guidance or any um real like elders in my community that can help me with my ancestral work I was really curious about like um blackness in certain spaces and the way that like I could I, the freedom that I had creatively, the way that the time 
that I had when I didn't have to explain everything that I was saying or doing, the shorthand that I could use with these other Black people who all had completely different experiences. The space was so safe that I was like, oh, I didn't notice actually how unsafe other spaces are until I was in this space. And there was even a moment where we did something called a ring shout, which is where, you know, uh, they used to do it during slavery time. Somebody is in the, an elder is in the middle of the circle, um, hitting a, a stick to the ground, creating like this pulse or this heartbeat. And in the circle, you can do whatever. You're just walking in a circle and you can rap, you can sing, you can hum, whatever, We're creating music. The first time we did it, I totally blacked out, came back out. And what I said at the beginning of this was that I, I'm not a singer. And so um, we're sitting in the circle and they were like, well, Jerry, um, I just felt like, you know, your voice is like the center of the earth. It just felt like so earthy and, and guttural. And I was like, what are you talking about? When you were singing? And I'm like, I wasn't singing because I'm like not a singer and that's just not whatever, whatever. And that's because I have an idea about what singing sounds like and what singing looks like and, it's, and it just was not me. And so, um, and there's a lot of trauma around my voice, my speaking voice, my singing voice, et cetera, um, having PTSD and, and, and experiencing generational trauma and all of those things. And so then when she said that to me, I was, I was shocked because I was like, I'm not the person that was singing out loud, but there was clearly this higher power slash ancestral power, which is in the roots that was happening to where they wouldn't allow me to not be my fullest self in this circle, to not give what they wanted me to give in this circle. And then the next day we did a ring shot at the end and the same thing happened, except I was more conscious and I could feel myself resisting because I was more conscious until it got to the point where I couldn't resist anymore. And I, and I had to do this thing. And it happened again when I was at Chautauqua one summer where I was the one hitting the stick and we were doing this like whole Kundalini um, experience with, with Buddy, who is, who is a, an amazing artist as well. Um, in Australia, he has an acting school in Australia and he does this, he does mask work. And so we were doing this uh, Kundalini thing and it's just like sounds and it's like this, this beat and this, this movement and we have been doing Michael Chekhov and I was hitting the stick and I'm speaking in tongue. I don't know what I'm saying. And like the conscious Jerry part of me is so nervous because I don't know <laughs> what's happening. But like the subconscious part of me is just like doing this thing. And I could feel people around me um, having an experience of me doing this thing. And my eyes are closed and I'm just hitting it. I'm just, I'm just having this moment. And my friend Elijah was on the floor contorting because he also um, went to Chautauqua this same summer contorting on the floor and I'm like telling myself that I need to stop. Am I going to hurt, you know, whatever the thing is. And then um, when we were having the time of reflection, one of the uh, women uh, whose family is from Nigeria and the Ivory Coast, who said I sounded like her grandmother who still lives on the continent. And it was like, and she's a, they call her a witch or whatever. And, um, and, and she was like, that is, that is how she sounds. And I've never been to the continent, nor have I never, or have I ever interacted with um, a witch or a person 
outside of the Baptist church that, that was, that uh, speaks in tongues and things like that. And had I been, I feel like on the continent, um, in a place where I feel like the infrastructure is made differently for people who do have like the mystic powers or the power to see, which here in America, they they could cause so many different things. Oh, you yeah. could be 302 and whatever, whatever. Um, where people can hone in those or mold those 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 uh, gifts for you and with you. And so um that that when I when I realized that that was a thing that was in me, in my solo show, I really wanted to capitalize on that. I really wanted to explore that and use that. And so there are lots of moments where, um, like being in white spaces, where I felt like, oh my god, am I like, am I too much? Am I this? Am I that? But after having those experiences and and them just piling on each other, I realized that I'm not. I am actually hurting the spaces in the and the world more if I'm not being my fuller self mm. because that's what is essential, especially in this time, one, to inspire people to also uh, be bigger and take up more space. Um, and I had to take that risk, right? Because I could also be like, you know, because this space feels unsafe, I don't want to do this. But there's something brave about this space feels unsafe or this space feels like I can't be my biggest self. So I'm going to be big anyway. Mm. I'm going to dare to be big anyway. I'm going to um, have this experience because it is essential and, and the space needs it. And maybe this space is unsafe because people have just been like, okay, it's unsafe. So I'm just not going to be the, you know, and it needs something so strong that it pushes up against the norm. And now we're having a conversation about how this space can be safer. Yes. What do you feel like? It's probably kind of what you were just talking about, but what do you feel like is the biggest hindrance to your creativity? Um, when there, when there, when, when I'm not able to uh, devere from the the whatever the structure is, right? Because I think I'm a Virgo rising and Virgo moon, right? So structure is is really important to me. Wow. <laughs> but, but if there's a place where um, where that isn't the case, it feels like when when it's too when the space feels. Like there's no space for my blackness, my queerness, my womanhood. I feel like that causes a hindrance. I, I played uh, Olga in Three Sisters, and all the examples that my director gave me because I was really having this was like the hardest role I've, I've ever done. Yeah. All the examples that the director gave me were white women, and so I had like a really hard time because I'm like already feeling like this is a uh, white play that we are doing like a concept of so i already feel like there's no space for me in this play and then you show me examples of white women which really makes me feel like i am playing a white woman playing olga which feels like so far from two other the, the root of, right so then i expressed this to her and she hadn't realized it and so um 
then she gave me black comparisons and then we did this whole thing about like Africans and in Russia and all of this stuff. But it was like, it was so, it just felt like I, I hated doing it. Like I yeah. hated being in the show and I love, I love Chekhov and I feel yeah. like there is, there's space for all of us in, in Chekhov, but it was like, it was such, it was such an icky experience because I just felt like, um, they wanted and it was really it's really the language because as a writer language is important to me the language that you use around a thing and there's a lot of like toxic language in white spaces that like people don't recognize because they normalized it that it's like you're you're what you're saying to me is to not be me and so I felt like I was Olga my Olga was pushed to be so far from Jerry, which is fine, but also like there was no hint. Yeah, it's of, not fine if you don't have an access point. Right. So there was no there was no doorway in. And it felt like it was like even in moments where I feel like Olga is most, you know, she has these like, you know, sass moments. It, it was almost like they wanted this one dimensional thing and it was and 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 it got to the point that I was just like why was I even cast as this person why did you even hire me to do this thing because you didn't want me to play in FISA or because you uh, I felt like it was like such a like you know like I feel like I'd be a great Masha right but I felt like it was like okay well I guess Jerry could play play Olga but but it was but it was an amazing experience and an amazing challenge for me and I learned a lot from from playing Olga about like my capacity for for inner stillness um but it was uncomfortable and I feel like there is um ways sometimes that people say don't be black without saying it and I feel like that infuriates me and the best times are when it's like throw paint at the wall do crazy things and let's get then let's get specific which I which I felt like um my time with time time Raffaele on um Midsummer was She's, and I was it, she's incredibly talented. She's fucking amazing. And it yeah. was just like, well, do, do that, do that. And, and it was, it was more of like access point of making Shakespeare personal and, um, good directors possess word magic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's exactly what you're saying. Like language is so important. It activates it. It manifests things in your body. It brings things out of you. It, it, it's an, it's the access point. So if it's limiting and feels shitty, then it's doing the exact opposite of what it's meant to do. Like, right. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, do you want to do some rapid fire to close this out? Let's do it. I don't know okay. what that means. We'll just do a, some quick questions. Perfect. Do you have a favorite color? Lilac. Oh, I love that. Do you have a song that always cheers you up? Um, it's like so many songs coming out of mind. But, you can do but, three, five, however many you want. Um, right now, it's 
it's it's weird because it's not cheery, but Jose is like the you know his um his album from Eden mm. is a song that that makes me feel good. It makes me feel in a pocket. Um, How will I know by Whitney mm-hmm. uh, Houston? I don't know why, but um, there was this the uh the 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 Lion King the Beyonce album is is really like gets me pumped makes me feel like black ex- excellence and, and magic yeah. yeah do you have top three favorite books um Audre Lorde's uh Sister Outsider um Thinking Grow Rich came to my mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it was one of my favorites, um, but uh, Pleasure Activism. And my favorite book is the poem book, uh, Milk and Honey. It's between uh, Milk, and Hun- Milk and Honey, this is really the ones, Milk and Honey, Salt, Pole, Dis- Pole Dancing to Gospel Hymn, and, and Bone by um, Dressa Dolly Ward. Ooh. Yes. Now's a good time for poetry too, actually. Do you yes. Have a, do you have a favorite scent? Lavender and sage between those two. Oh, Palo Santo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What city do you want to visit next when this is all said and done? Bali. Yes. I want to see the coral reefs before they're extinct. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, who are your top three actor inspirations at the moment um what what is her name um um um, i'm watching little fires everywhere oh yeah and um carrie washington and also the white woman with the blonde hair reese witherspoon Uh, reese witherspoon uh they're Freaking! I mean, everybody in that show is freaking phenomenal. Yeah, and so they are amazing. And and I keep seeing Octavia Spencer and things, and so she's she's on my mind and on my heart. And there's somebody that I'm thinking about that's not that's not um, coming to the surface who's who's also killing it. But I feel like people are just. I mean, there's so much content out there, and actors are just living. They're just yeah. being bomb bomb ass people yeah mm-hmm. the guy who is the lead in snowfall oh yeah yep is amazing yeah i feel like people talk about him on this podcast a lot like he's a big big one so good and yeah he's amazing so good do you have a favorite meal since i know you do both do you have a favorite meal in la when you're going out and a favorite meal in new york my favorite meal in LA has to be, um, and it's, it's, it's my favorite in San Francisco as well, Gracias Madre. Oh my God. So good. And they have, I mean, everything that they have is-, is The cauliflower. Is the, that's exactly. The cauliflower is amazing. Sweet green is always my go-to. I know it's like a fast food, whatever place. No, but, but they it's have good. Bombas. They have the, the shroomami. So with, good. Um, it, it, instead of the tofu, getting some butternut squash from the butternut squash is in season. The That's miso. my soft spot. I love miso. <gasps> There's this place. Bitch. Where? 
called there's this place in it's in um it's in San Francisco called Shizen or something like that. It's vegan. What is it called? Vegan sushi. It's awesome. And there's one in LA that I've discovered that is amazing. I can't even think of it right now, but they're amazing. That is my favorite. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I if I've had enough time to explore food places in New York yet. Yeah, to have yeah. Because you start, you kind of hit the ground running with work, and now, now you can't leave too much. So it's yeah. very different. What? Um, I know you're such an amazing cook. What's your favorite thing to cook for yourself? Fried oyster mushrooms <sighs> with this open um, squash with some a stuffed squash with a quinoa and wild rice, a quinoa and wild rice blend. Yes. How do you want people to feel who spend time with you? Safe. Yeah. And seen. Yeah. Is there anything that we can hold space for you for, for the rest of 2020? Any, I know that you're like the manifestation queen. Is there anything that you're trying to bring through now? These, these, this book, it's like, Yes. Now I'm writing three different books at one time because I I started my book and and it's, I'm looking for an editor. I'm also looking for a person. I feel like if I had an editor that, that, because I'm at the stage where I have like all of these chapters, but there's, it's not in in any order or there's like things that I want to take out, but then I start to to edit and and I get overwhelmed. So then I, then the other day I started like, writing a collection of my poems because I was reading Bone and I was reading Milk and Honey and I was like, there, I need to um, be taking these things, putting these things together. And then yesterday I started um, writing this pamphlet about like transitioning to becoming alkaline where I'll have how I transition, why I transitioned and what, what are some tips and tricks. And then also having, um, the end be just like a collection of my uh, favorite recipes. I want this book. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. We're holding space for you for that for sure. Yeah. Final question. What's something that you think all creatives listening need to hear? It's usually something that you need to hear yourself. Um, that now is an amazing time to create. During the Great Recession, people were still going to the movie theaters and people were still seeing things. And so um, I think creating from a sense of truth and uh, authenticity is what uh, and being very, very specific is what we really need right now Mm -hmm. and not creating for a capitalist gain and and recognizing that like whatever you need to create will come out naturally you don't need to force anything to happen you don't need to whatever whatever oh i have writer's block or whatever it just just go somewhere else and do something else or take a nap and then we got yeah oh jerry this was such a dream come true and so special i I was so inspired by your words and I know that they're going to feed so many people, especially during this time. So thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for having me. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, you too. And I'll talk to you soon. Your dress is beautiful. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Yes. Bye-bye.
Friends, thank you so much for tuning into the Blank Page Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the show, rate, review, and if you have a friend you think might benefit from these conversations, let them know about it. Spread the word. Let's create a community where we lift each other up, support each other through the shitty times, and celebrate each other's wins. Please let me know if there's any way that I can support you in your journey. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day.